We just stepped on their face with a hobnailed boot and broke their nose. One, two, three. Welcome to the Tideron Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Bethay, uh, joined here by my good friend, Scott Stat Assassin, as we come to you from the Gator Hater Studios. Uh, it is Georgia, Florida week. We're a week later than traditional. It's not Halloween weekend, but uh, this is still a very sexy matchup. I think this is the third time in the last few years they've both been in the top 10. Is that right, Scott? Yeah, this this is probably the third straight year of that, I think, right? Yeah. I think that's right. So it, it just feels wrong not playing it uh, around Halloween. So Yeah, my uncle is actually going for the first time. He's never been, so he's a longtime Georgia fan. I've been once. We won in 2004, and I decided that I did not need to go back because at that point, that was a rare thing to win. So I went one time, maybe it was one time, one time in 2007, and that was when we won and danced in the end zone, and I was sitting in the Florida student section for that whole game (laughs) with a friend of mine who was a Florida student at the time. And everybody had a lot of trash to talk for like the first half of the game, you know, and then the fourth quarter, it was just me and a whole bunch of empty space. That's a soldier boy game, but no Sean Marino and the 4230. That's a good one. Oh, that was that same year, but that game was the, yeah, the soldier boy game was Auburn. Auburn. You're right. You're right. You're right. But that was the 2007 was the, the rush, the field to like celebrate the first touchdown, everybody get a flag game. Mark Rick, I'm going to be upset if we don't get a unsportsmanlike conduct after we score our first touchdown. That's still awesome. That's one of my favorite Mark Rick moments. Yeah, we paid for it. The uh, <laughs> the guy that refed that game gave us about two extra personal fouls per game for the next like six years. People have gone back and looked at the numbers and they're like, really? oh, look at that. Yeah, the guy that refed it. And like, oh, look at that. He magically just threw flags on everything, Georgia. Like, personal fouls you know like somebody starts yapping 15 we deal with that in high school we deal with that in high school too my head coach got kicked out last year for one of the mildest contests of a referee uh, I can never think of he got kicked out of the uh the last game of the season so I didn't miss the first round of the playoffs we were playing against Jameer Gibbs in the first round and our head coach at the DC so that was awesome uh I know we're off we're off the rails here to start but anyways (laughs) hopefully Gators Gators wear jean shorts that's all I gotta say hopefully none of those kind of things play into this year's game uh but I wanted to start with just a little tail of the tape and some of the trends. I think everybody that follows this game has heard the stat that, you know, from the last 14 matchups, the team that leads in rushing has won, which, again, does not tell the story of the entire game. In a lot of cases, the better team just won. Uh, but UGA has won three straight in six of the last ten. What I thought was interesting, though, was that the teams have traded three, win, three game win streaks since 2008. So that was kind of an interesting trend. So you've kind of seen them go up and down with the changes in coaching also. So Urban Meyer leaves, Rick gets a few wins, uh, then the Muschamp years, and then Kirby. And so it's kind of been up and down. And right now Kirby's been owning uh, Dan Mullen for the last few years. Yeah, I mean, hopefully there's not a Florida three-game win streak in our near future. But uh, honestly, if – if Kirby and Mullen are both at their respective schools for an extended period of time, which I would expect them to be, um, I don't expect the next 10 years to be just full of, you know, win streaks either way. Right. Mm-hmm. So you would expect to be much more back and forth. Well, yeah. hopefully more forth than back. And, you know, if you're a Georgia fan, but um, 
looking at some of the tail of the tape, there's so many stats that I go through, and I know it, I don't want to bore people, but I do want to paint a little bit of a picture of just kind of where Florida and Georgia are at. As people know, generally Florida has a really good offense and Georgia has a really good defense. And I use the conference rankings because right now trying to do national rankings are so bizarre because you get teams that have played no games, teams that have played eight games. And so I kind of went with the conference stats to have a standard uh, means of comparison. But Florida is second in the conference in points per game at 42. Uh, by comparison, UJ is averaging 29. But on the flip side, UJ is number one in on defense in both yards – excuse me, in yards, points, sacks, and rush defense. Um, Georgia's allowing somewhere around – I think right around 16 points a game, and Florida is allowing – uh, around 29 points a game, which is a huge, huge difference. Um, but that actually still ranks sixth in the SEC because the SEC is an offensive league now. And if you didn't know that, uh, that's it's quite evident in the first few weeks that defense is dead in the SEC. Uh, people don't play defense anymore. Which is, if you had a time machine and went back and told somebody that, even like 10 years ago, people would think you're insane. Yeah. And a lot of this has to do with what we said. The SEC's added really good coaches, and let's be honest, most head coaches are offensive minds. They are. I mean, and they're really good coaches. And with the way that quarterbacks are being coached in high school and spread offense being so prominent in high school, these guys come in ready to play more advanced. Yep. So, and I know you mentioned where they stand in the SEC because the national numbers are so weird with not a lot of teams playing and weird yeah. schedules, right, and all that. Um if you look at the SP plus rankings, which are numbers that adjust for who you play, right? So if you give up 30 points to Alabama, SP plus says, hey, you're a pretty good defense. <laughs> and if you give up 28 points to Vanderbilt, SP plus says, hey, you really suck at defense, right? Yeah. So it's, yeah, um, they're really helpful like this in times like this where the schedules are weird and it's not very normalized, right? So anyway, and by those numbers, the Georgia is first in defense and mm. Florida is 25th, a little higher than people might think. Mm -hmm. uh, it's worth noting that the gap there is about 12 points. Which is huge. So Georgia's defense, yes, yeah, 12 points a game better than Florida's. And so you imagine if Georgia gives up about 10 points a game and Florida gives up about 22 points a game, that feels about right. And Florida's offense is number four. And Georgia's offense is number 46. Yee. Now, the raw gap there, also 12 points. Oh, okay. And the reason it kind of feels so weird, right, is this happens a lot of times. The very, very elite, you know, top one, two, three, sometimes separates from the rest of the pack. Georgia's mm -hmm. defense has very much been that, mm -hmm. right? So there is a, I don't know, a three or four point gap or something between Georgia and number two. And that's a really big gap, right? And, and also, once you get down to like 20 through 50, a lot of times nationally, it's not that different. Yeah. Right? Yeah, you yep, know, so yep. anyway, all that to say, it's an offense versus defense matchup, and mm -hmm. any good way you slice it, whatever kind of meaningful statistics you look at it, a quick glance tells you, yeah, Awesome offense, awesome defense, and just okay offense and okay defense. So. Yeah, and Georgia, just to let you know, even after the Alabama game, Georgia is still the best defense in the country by a lot. If you yes. if you didn't take anything away from else from what Scott said, Georgia is the best defense in the country by a lot, and Florida is really good on offense. And so I took some notes. I went back and watched some of Florida's games uh, so I could get a better grasp of who they really are because, you know, 
you know, I'll watch on a Saturday sometimes after I finish my film breakdown for my Friday night games. And, you know, you're kind of halfway watching, flipping around. And so I went back and kind of did a more detailed study of Florida, picked up a few things. And uh, Scott, feel free to jump in here. But one of the big things I noticed is that Florida's offense heavily relies on intermediate to underneath routes, crossing routes, seam routes. Uh, and a lot of their offense is built on catch and run. They have a very West Coast approach. And they rely heavily, heavily, heavily on broken tackles. That's the thing you see over and over again, specifically with Kadarius Toney, who may be one of the two or three hardest players to tackle in all of college football. He's got the speed to force bad angles. He's shifty enough that people try will end up out of position and try to arm tackle him. And he's powerful enough that he'll spin out of those arm tackles and get big chunk plays. Yeah, Tony this year has been the player that Florida fans wanted him to be or thought he was for about the last four years. He's finally playing like they have expected. Um, and these sort of short intermediate routes, you know, that's been a pretty much a staple of how they've run that offense at Florida with Mullen, right? They, have, they were that way a lot last year. A lot of people uh, didn't think all that highly of Trask last year mm-hmm. because he was throwing a lot of slants and screens to a good receiving core. And people weren't saying he was bad necessarily, but that he was just doing an okay job. And I think a lot of Florida fans were in their feelings about that last year and mad that they weren't getting respect, et cetera. Uh, I think he's is playing better this year. He's yeah. been more accurate. He's been a little faster getting the ball out. Um, last year, he also threw the ball to other teams quite a lot. Yeah. And he just like, happened to drop it. Occasionally, you have seasons like that. This year, he's cut down on his bad passes, I think. But, you know, you mentioned the intermediate to underneath routes. I had actually just seen this the other day. Uh, it was a chart of all of Kyle Pitts's reception or all of his targets. They've thrown the ball his way 34 times. Only four of those targets were more than 20 yards downfield. Wow. Wow. And, like, yeah. almost 20 of those targets were less than 10 yards downfield. Mm-hmm. So And, and- – some of those are probably skewed slightly by the fact that he gets red zone targets. So like if they throw him a fade from the 10 yard line that goes nine yards in the end zone, that's still like a 10 yard pass. So that can kind of skew it. And they, they use him a ton in the red zone. But the point being is that this is not a vertical offense. They hit big plays, but this is not a vertical passing game. And the way you think of it, like when you saw what Texas A&M did to Florida, that's a vertical passing game. Obviously Alabama, one of the best vertical passing games we've seen in college football in some time, as far as their, their, um, the, the, the number of deep throws they attempt and hit. Um, and they, obviously they have unbelievable players. But Yeah, and, and that's a big part of why this game is such a question mark, right? Is, mm-hmm. well, one, Florida's offense isn't as good as Alabama's. Um, the gap's maybe not enormous, but they're, they're not as good. But the other thing is they're very different stylistically, right? Right, right. So if, if they were built around having, you know, big time first round speed guys on the outside, you might think, okay, they're going to do what Alabama did. Yeah. Uh, but they're different. So I don't know. We'll have to see, I think. And when we get to the Georgia defense, that's one of the interesting matchups is that uh, Rich LeCount obviously being out, which we'll get to, but LeCount hasn't tackled well this year. Um, has a PFF tackling grade that's in the 20s or 30s for the season. So that's interesting. Lewis Seen, who's actually an exceptional tackler, 
and then Chris Smith, who's also an exceptional tackler. If you watch Chris Smith's high school film, his first highlight is him basically drawing and quartering a receiver on a screen route. Think about knocks that kid's spine through the back of his jersey. And so he is a very, very reliable tackler. And although you'd rather have a count, I do think that if there was going to be someone that had to take his spot, this is a good matchup for Smith. But I will come back to that. Uh, yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah, a few more thoughts on the uh, Florida offense. You mentioned this, but Trask's best tools are decision-making and accuracy. And he gets the ball to playmakers. Gets he's, He gets the ball to them in, the, in good spots and on time where there's room to run and catch. And on the other hand, Florida's run game, when I looked at the numbers, was better than I thought. But when I watched the game film, just doesn't look very good. Right. Uh, I just it just looks very just very average. And one of the things I noticed is that their success in the run game has primarily been on gap scheme play. So counter is by far their best running play. And counter involves a pulling guard and then usually either a tight end or an H back or fullback uh, coming underneath the pull and blocking the nearest linebacker. So in that you're running to a specific gap, unlike zone where you have an area that you're trying to hit. And against Missouri, they had a QB counter, which we hadn't seen, and they had a lot of success with it. You know, got a, a couple of good first down runs. I mean, Trask isn't going to go for 50. He's pretty slow. But a couple of good first down runs, the kind of things that, you know, we've said Gus Malzahn should be doing, you know, down in Auburn. But that's neither here nor there. But I just – when I went back and watched the, some of the clips from the Alabama game, and, you know, Alabama ran the ball – very successful in the fourth quarter on Georgia. I think, I think Najee Harris ended up with like 14 carries for like 56 yards in the fourth quarter alone, which is insane to think somebody took the ball that much. But Bama ran variation, uh, some variation of counter scheme six to seven times in the game and got obliterated by the Georgia front. I mean, they didn't piss a drop on counter. And when they were running the clock out against Georgia, they went to inside zone. And split zone, when split zones where you bring a back across the formation to block the backside. Split defense. zone is where they hurt us. And split zones where they hurt us because we couldn't run the play down from the backside with our speed. And what they did was they got in about a million different formations. They would go doubles. They would go twins closed. They would go trips with an H. And then Georgia would change their alignment. You get a light box, and they would just plow forward for four yards. And I wrote down in my notes that it was like death by a million paper cuts. Man, I wish the I wish the Falcons had that offensive coordinator. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, fans ran him out of town because you know that's what fans do for the Falcons. But it was I don't think there was a run longer than eight yards in the fourth quarter. Maybe there was and I missed, but they just couldn't stop it late in the game. And I'm just sharing all that to say, the University of Florida will not beat EJ running inside zone. I can guarantee that. Uh, that yeah. will not be how they win this game. So you mentioned that you know. Florida by the numbers, you look at the numbers and think, okay, they're actually pretty solid and efficient running the ball. And you watch it and you think it doesn't quite match the eye test. Mm. The The reason I think for that is that, one, I, I agree, they're not anything special at all running the ball. But two, they want to pass the ball mm. first and foremost, right? They throw the ball on early downs more than anybody in the conference with the exception of Mississippi State. Who doesn't who leads count. by an enormous margin. And Florida, when it's a light box, they will actually run the ball. And so in those scenarios, they're not doing anything special, but you got like six blockers on six guys in the box. They can run for four yards and stay ahead of the chains. Unless you have Jordan Davis, Julian Rochester, and Elisa Jolari, who just beat blocks. And – oh, and – and um. And some pretty good linebackers in Quay Walker and Monterey. Oh, wait, are those guys playing this week? 
Right. So how things match up in the run game will be difficult. Uh, Rochester's not a big deal to me, I don't think, really. Just depth um, and experience. Yeah, if we weren't missing the other players, nobody would even talk about him being gone. But, yeah, it, Florida's offensive line is fine, I guess, but they're not anything special, and they're not as good as Alabama, Kentucky, or Tennessee, mm-hmm. who we've already played. Um, so you don't worry too much about their offensive line, especially not in the run game. But, yeah, we'll see what happens with no Jordan Davis. He lets you play the run like you have an extra man in the box. And so in that case, when they go to looks that give you six men in the box and they say, oh, we're going to run it, well, he's going to toss the center straight into the running back and you're not going to run easily in a six-man box. Yeah. Without him, if they're able to get four or five yards a pop out of the light box, then you're in a hard place. You commit that extra guy into the box when they're like running trips to one side and that's tough. Yeah, and – you just brought up an interesting point. Georgia's played the three best offensive lines in the SEC to start their season. Like, in this first week, they played Arkansas, who maybe has the best offensive line coach in the SEC. And then you play Kentucky, Tennessee, and Alabama, who probably have the three best offensive lines in the conference. Like, that is a lot of physical football. And Auburn, I think, has a case for being the fifth best outside of that group of the ones we mentioned in Georgia, right? Yeah. So, um, I think I saw the – compilation of stats earlier today in Georgia defensively it's the fewest yards before contact allowed basically mm-hmm. the fewest yards the other team is blocking up for free before the running back gets contact wow which you kind of knew because that's what Georgia's defense is but having done that against the hardest part of the O-line schedule in the conference already is quite impressive yeah and I don't think people appreciate that people don't think about Kentucky as typically being a team with a great offensive line. So I don't think people realize what we did to Kentucky last week is really impressive. I don't think that's appreciated because you don't think it's Kentucky being a good offensive line, but they are, and they're a good defensive team. Like Kentucky's right behind Georgia in almost every defensive category. And so people see Georgia score 14 points, even though they completely dominated the game and it's everything's terrible. Stetson Bennett's awful with no context of the fact that you just played a defense that's better than Alabama's defense, at least statistically, not talent wise, but as far as what they put on the field, that's a good defense. That's the point. And, yeah, we, were, we didn't look great in offense, but that wasn't a bad defense we played last week. Yeah. Now, Florida's defense is not, not, not Kentucky's defense. They're not great. And I went back and watched some of the A&M game, and A&M absolutely owned the middle of the field on Florida. A lot of intermediate deep routes. Kellen Mon is a big arm. They hit several post routes. I think a seam route over the top. They had like one kid, I can't remember the white kid, number 81, that was just torching their safeties. But the one thing that they did that I don't see Georgia doing is they made a lot of contested catches. And that is something we have not seen from UJ receivers this year. As a matter of fact, UJ has grossly underperformed at receiver for the second straight year. And for some reason, we don't throw to our tight ends, the fact, despite the fact that Trey McKitty is actually good and Darnell Washington looks like an absolute animal. But I digress. And then, you know, you look at, like, go back to that, that Texan A&M game, and you see that Isaiah Spiller just ran all over that defense. Lots of broken tackles. Florida had a difficult time rack, wrapping him up. And 
Interestingly enough, most of the damage was done on counter, which has been one of UJ's best run plays this year. That's what uh, Zeus shredded Kentucky with last week was he was really good on counter. And we were really good on counter against Alabama. That's one of our best run plays, counter and power, which essentially use the same scheme. And um, Texas A&M was the only game in which you, you, the University of Florida hasn't, recovered, hasn't recorded a sack. But again, Texas A&M is another really good offensive line, good to solid offensive line. And um, – I would just say that if there's if there is a weakness in this Florida secondary, I think they're suspect at safety. They have one really elite DB in Elam, but I think they're pretty average to maybe even below average everywhere else. What are your thoughts on the defense, Scott? Yeah, pretty much lines up with that. I mean, they for the first three games of the season, their defense was atrocious. They were missing so many tackles. I mean, at one point after multiple games, they had something like a 40% missed tackle rate or something insane. Like something you'd be mad at six-year-olds for tackling that poorly, right? That's like Oklahoma and Texas bad. Yeah. Um, now, the one thing for them is they're not super deep on defense, and they don't have just a ton of guys that look like, you know, first-round picks, whether by production or just athletically, right? The, the one guy out there where you just, on both of those fronts, you know can really play is Elam. Um, like you said, the rest, sec, rest of the secondary, just okay. As a team, they've got one interception this season. So, Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see if, the, if there's a good game for Stetson Bennett to stop throwing picks. Maybe yeah. it's this one. Or stop um, getting the ball batted because that only happens to short quarterbacks. We all know that's uh, true. Tall quarterbacks never get passes batted. <laughs> if y'all can't tell, um, us, that is that is said with extreme <laughs> sarcasm. The uh, the other thing that's been a little weird for Florida, along with the fact that they've been a, an absurdly terrible tackling team, is that they had an impromptu bye week thanks to COVID, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And they got one of their interior linemen back. Against Missouri, they tackled much, much better. And getting their interior guy back, I think he's a guy playing nose for them, sort of resorted and settled out their defensive front Mm. as a whole. Basically, their defensive front is really thin. So I think they have like, I don't know, two nose tackles to choose from, like the guy that was playing and a true freshman. So what happened was a guy that's not supposed to be playing nose tackle Slides, has to slide over to nose and they were taking defensive ends and sliding them over to play the other interior yeah, spots. Yeah. So they've just been getting blown off the ball. Now against Missouri, they looked like a much more functional, competent defense. They looked like a defense that, you know, has some pretty good talent and is, you know, a pretty good unit, but they're nothing special because they don't have any, you know, special amount of talent. As opposed to earlier this season where they looked like Vanderbilt. Now, you always are the spread guy for me. And with that improvement that you just said, as a, in addition to the injuries to Georgia, which we're about to talk about, the spread is open at five points and it's down to three, which is actually higher than I thought it would be, even going into the last couple of days before the game. And, you know, I think prior to what we saw to Florida's performance last week, Georgia's performance last week, and then the injuries – I felt a lot better about this game. I mean, did you? Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a passing is better than running guy because that's what the numbers say. And that seems to be borne out. But that being said, 
we have run the ball pretty efficiently of yeah. late against much better defensive fronts. Mm-hmm. So prior to, you know, seeing them get a little healthy on the defensive front and all of a sudden be pretty decent, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, Hey, this is the game where we're just going to run it every single play and it's actually going to work, you know, and all of the old dudes are going to be really excited about how we ran for 300 something yards. Right. After, you know, Florida looking functional against Missouri, look, it's hard to tell Missouri is not that great. It's a new coach. Florida had a weird bye week, you know, is that repeatable? Are they going to be an average to above average defense moving forward? Or are they going to, you know, was that just one good week and an otherwise terrible season? You know, not really sure. We'll have to see. Right. But that combined with some of the defensive injuries, it's hard to feel great about this game. And bigger, biggest injuries account or is Jordan Davis equally, equally important? It it honestly might be pretty equal, I think. So, in my head, missing your starting senior safety against a passing first Mm -hmm. offense with a defense that rotates heavily at every position except safety seems like a terrible, terrible injury. But, you know, like what I said about Jordan Davis earlier, he's just so good and so big for that defense in the middle that you don't ever have to commit extra guys to playing the run because he's that extra guy. I mean, he looks like a whole extra dude hiding out there (laughs) under the pads with him. Right. You're going to make a lot of money in uh, April too. Yeah. So both of those guys are big. Um, If you want to be optimistic, you know, Chris Smith has played pretty well. Mm -hmm. He's a dude that's a little bit limited physically. Um, so is LeCount, in case people you haven't noticed. Preach that because right. Chris Chris Smith, if you didn't know, is about a five foot nine high school corner who's been converted to safety because of what I told you, which is he's a crazy good tackler. He's very physical. Um, LeCount, kid I've had a chance to meet, stupid smart, fantastic leader. All the hype you hear about his leadership, it's real. I've talked to you, I talked to the kid, he's great. Hasn't been as good this year as his hype, but still he's just seeing interceptions. Still, three-year starter that can get people lined up. He's he's the guy that knows all the checks. I've sat in meetings with him at Kirby Smart in there. Richard the Count is is the dude. I mean, he's the he's he's the he's he's the sheriff. And I don't know if you can replace that. Even if you replace his physical ability, I don't know if you can replace all the other intangibles that go with that. And that really concerns me. Yeah. So both of those are tough, tough injuries, right? You know, the Rochester thing. It's you know, he's a depth guy. He's banged up. It happens, right? Yeah. Um, now, that being said, Jalen Carter, who is a freshman, has gotten a good bit of play. And physically, that dude's a monster. Right? And so, if he goes out and plays well all game and stays healthy all game, then you might not notice the Davis loss too much. But it's not some crazy scenario that Chris Smith and uh, Jalen Carter both play well and you don't really notice those losses a ton yeah the other side of that coin is if chris smith or seen rolls an ankle i don't know what the world you're doing right yeah that's a good point um and like one of the big things for the count is he's one of the guys that you would hope is was going to be part of the solution stopping cal pitts which as much as i feel good about uj's defense against 
the Florida offense, and I do feel good about it, not great, but good about it. There's, I, I cannot think of a good answer for Kyle Pitts. It, I mean, I cannot think of a good answer for him. I mean, the only good answer is to cheat, <laughs> right? It literally take a page out of Belichick's playbook, right? Um, and, and not the cheating one, because I don't know how you get away with that in this scenario. But if you ever watched the Falcons play back when Tony Gonzalez was around, he played yeah. the Patriots. And he would just line up some three, four outside linebacker who's 260 pounds on Tony Gonzalez, the same size. Now, the dude couldn't run like Tony Gonzalez. Right. But it didn't matter because that guy made sure that Tony Gonzalez was about two yards downfield after two and a half seconds. Yeah. He was not part of that route. So when Pitts is lined up, you know, in line and more of a normal traditional tight end spot, you can do that and really mess with it. He's not yeah. that big and physical of a guy as – you know, he's not Gronkowski, right? Right, Where right. If you do that, he's going to toss that dude and then catch it. That's not Pitts' thing. Yeah, Pitts Gronk is, babies people. That's not what Pitts does. Yeah, Pitts is George Pickens. Like, <laughs> they're basically yeah. the same dude. Yeah. All right? Um, now, Florida is not dumb, right? It's not the mush champ era anymore. They're not stupid. So they don't line Pitts up just in the regular inline tight end spot a lot. He's out wide. He's not even usually – well, sometimes he's out wide by himself, completely by himself, right, yeah. mm-hmm. um, where doubling him means they have a huge advantage on the other side. Right. Or one-on-one means everybody knows it's one-on-one. And if it's not that, he's usually, you know, part of some, like, trips formation, and he's a lot of times off the line of scrimmage. So, so you can't get your hands on him. Right. So, like I said, they're not dumb, right? I really kind of like – Stokes and Campbell on Pitts. I think they both play strong enough where he's not going to just throw them around. You don't give up too much height or length as much as is possible. And you definitely aren't going to get torched downfield. Stokes has a history of being really good against bigger receivers. Like that's one of the things that made his mark, especially when he's a sophomore, because he would get picked on. And he has a history with his physicality being very hands like most Georgia corners are. He is really good against tall receivers. And then Campbell just has the frame that you think would be the best physical matchup, either him or, you know, I guess you could dust off some like a mere speed, but I'm pretty sure there's a reason he doesn't play. And he's 6'3 right. and long. But Now, and also, too, Stevenson and Webb, the guys that are going to be in the slot, they're both pretty big, pretty physical guys. Yeah. And so you can have them on pits a lot and not necessarily have to sacrifice what you want to do in playing the run or in blitzes, right? Like they got no problem sending Stevenson or Webb on a blitz. And both of those guys are really built more like safeties. So they hold up okay in the run game. Yeah. If we don't blitz, first of all, <clears throat> you and I both agree we should play most of this game in our base nickel package with our four two five, which is our base anyway. And we ought to blitz all the time and get Kyle Trask as uncomfortable as possible because he ain't getting away from sacks. I I will say this last year, and I didn't realize this, but last year we blitzed almost none. Is really? Yes. At at least on passing downs. Okay. Now we might've like, I don't remember. I I feel like we might've dialed up some run blitzes intentionally just to sort of get them in bad down in distance. But I don't remember how many times they threw the ball last year, but I think we blitzed uh, seven times uh, when they were passing the ball. Don't do that this year. 
That's also right. when Kyle Trask wasn't, you know, doing what he's doing now. I mean, I, if I'm if I'm Dan Lanning, I am sending Adam Anderson and, and Tyreek Stevenson and those like I am bringing pressure on a regular basis because I just don't believe that they're going to be able to hold up the way that a line like Alabama did. And Alabama's really the only line that's been able to block Georgia's pressure packages. Um, and like you said, there's not really a good matchup for Pitts, especially in the red zone. I, he scares me when he's at H because you can lose him. That's what happens a lot of times in the goal line. They line him up at H, bring him across formations. He gets lost. The red zone is really where he scares me probably the most um, because you make a mistake and it's a touchdown. You can't tackle him. and He's in the end zone. So that worries me. That's probably – Go ahead. One of the things you notice a lot if you watch Florida this year is there's a lot of plays from Pitts and Tony where they just got lost. Mm-hmm. And that's because it's stuff that was schematically designed to get them open. And that goes back to our catch and run stuff like we talked about earlier, yeah. right? Um, there were some of the times I was watching that stuff and thinking, that's just crappy defense. Like, I don't know how much that miscommunication yeah. is going to work and against Georgia's defense that being said you can still have miscommunication on any defense right and all it takes is one or two times if those are 250 yard plays then that's still very impactful so so as we put a bow on this like I think we both agree that Kyle Pitts is probably the biggest concern for the Georgia defense do you agree with that yeah I think so that tackles Darius Tony. yeah I mean I think Pitts is one and two, and then yeah, everybody else is way down. Now, real quickly as we wrap this up, because we're going long like we always do. I know I told you to get you out of here quickly tonight, but we're going long like we always do. We haven't talked much about Georgia's offense. Will Georgia run the ball in Florida, in your opinion? Yes. Okay. Now, I agree with you, and the question is, will it be enough? By itself, I tend to think no. Stetson Bennett's going to have to make some throws. Yeah, he's going to have to make some throws. I mean, that's really kind of always the case, yeah, right? It is. It um, is. Except last week. <laughs> yeah, right. When we're playing teams that are just clearly not going to score, yeah, then you can tell when we get a quarter or a quarter and a half in the game, and you know they're not going to score, and we just shut it down. We get Kirby ball, which is a 10 point lead is safe because that's Kirby ball. Let's run the clock out. And that happens against a lot of these teams that are like pretty decent borderline top 25 ish or outside the top 25, but not terrible teams. Yeah. And when we, when we can see it on the field and the coaches see, okay, they're not scoring on us. We just shut it down and don't worry about it. So, you know, I don't know how much that really, impacts this game right because this is a different game every time we play a team that has an offense we don't play that way lsu last year alabama this year alabama in all the championship games alabama in the playoffs we were aggressive in the playoffs all of those games we were aggressive the only time we've played any top five top ten team that we weren't was probably auburn in the sec championship game Mm -hmm. rematch yeah so I'm expecting we'll see something like that, but there's also a chance that we can actually just push them around and run the ball. And if that's the case, we're going to stay pretty vanilla, I think. So for me, it comes down to this. 
and it's going to sound very, very generic. Like it's like always, it's always line of scrimmage when with matchups of good teams. And I know that sounds so boring to say, but for me, what I think specifically, if if we don't have at least three sacks and like and or ten hits of Kyle Trask, we probably lost. And we're good. Yeah, we probably yeah. lost. I mean, he has to be under pressure. And on the other side of the ball, we can't get another game like we had against Alabama where. Stetson is either missing reads, he's inaccurate, or when he is accurate, we have Jermaine Burton dropping touchdown pass passes or letting the ball get deflected for an interception. Like that stuff can't happen. And, and to me, if if you tell me that Georgia's going to hold Florida to twenty one points, I would say we, that means we got pressure on Trask. We maybe even forced a turnover to. That's a win. You told me we hold them twenty one. You told me that Florida scores twenty eight. I don't feel as good. I don't feel as good because I can't tell you that Georgia's going to score 30 or 31. I just can't. Yeah, and I think sort of the expectation for almost all of the score outcomes in this game are somewhere from like low 20s to low 30s, mm-hmm. right, for both teams. Like yeah, whatever you think is going to happen, whoever you think is going to be low or mid-20s or whoever you think is going to be high 20s or low 30s, that seems about where this game is probably going to end up no matter what happens. Um, and really – it is as boring as you said. Like, this game's about the line of scrimmage. If Georgia wants to come out and run the ball, but Florida actually holds up pretty well and tackles pretty well, and your running backs are getting you about four yards a carry, that's not going to be enough to get it done right. unless you can really dial up some big plays in the passing game, which we've seen a few of those dialed mm-hmm. up. It yeah. can happen. This is the kind of game where maybe some things get broken out, but – you know, if you told me the running backs were getting four yards of carry, probably not in great shape. Now, if Florida still has some tackling issues or the offensive line just, you know, is really pissed off that they're counted out of this game because two guys get hurt on defense and they come out and play well and the running backs are getting five, five and a half, six yards of carry, then that's enough where, yeah, you're probably good there. So I'm wrapping up with this. My prediction for this game, and Scott, I know you you have you have told me like, yeah, I'm still working on. I'm not sure about my prediction. My prediction for this game, I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna predict Georgia 27-21. Uh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna predict a best case scenario where we have one turnover or fewer and force at least to get at least three or four sacks of Kyle Trask and um, the receivers catch the ball and we run for 200 yards. I'm predicting a best case scenario where all those things happen. We do give up some stuff on defense. We, we let Kadarius Tony get loose once or twice. We let Kyle Pitts catch a touchdown pass, but we do enough on offense. And here's one thing I want to see. Give me the Dewan Mathis package. Can we give Dewan Mathis just the Justin Fields package? Let him come in and run zone read. Let him come in and run zone option. Let him come in and run power read. I want to see it. I want to see it because nobody's seen us do that since the first game. No one's seen us do that. If there's ever a game you're going to break it out for, because there is no Auburn or Bama waiting for you later on, guarantee, unless you win this game. Like, you're not, you're not seeing another great team unless you win this game. So, there's nothing yeah. to, hold, to hold back. So, I want to see the DeWan Mathis package. And I've, Stetson struggles. I've been in the Stetson Bennett, uh, in the Stetson Bennett corner, but I'm with the quick hook for this one because this is your season. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. It's It, it would be interesting if we had a – a Mathis package that would maybe actually surprise me a little bit, but 
yeah, you know, as far as picks go, like you said, I'm on the fence. I, if I had to put money on this, I would be waiting until Saturday morning when they're announcing who's playing. Who's playing. Right. There's been talk of Jordan Davis playing. I don't buy it. I, I'm just not buying it. Right. Um, but is George Pickens playing? Now that's huge. I want, oh, that's my third thing. I want to see the ball forced to George Pickens. They have no one that can cover him. Well, depending on where he lines up. Right. So honestly, if they're just going to try and put Elam on Pickens all day, because they think that's the way they can handle Pickens, I'm totally fine with just finding ways to get the ball to Jackson and Burton and Washington and Cook and just say, fine, none of your other guys can cover anybody else. So like – just put them on the other side of the field and let those guys hang out. Yeah. So to me, I don't know who's out for Florida with COVID related stuff still. I don't know if George Pickens is playing. I don't know if Ben Cleveland is playing. I don't know if Monty Rice or Quay Walker are playing. Yeah. I think yeah. Stevens, I think Stevenson and Scene are playing, but all of those are guys that didn't play last week or came out injured last week. Right. So yeah, you're right. I mean, you just yeah, named like nine starters. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So that's way too much for, you know, that swings the game, right? If all of those guys are healthy enough to play, then I would be going Georgia. Okay. Probably it'll be somewhere in between, right? Yeah. Where, like, if, if none of those guys are playing, I'm probably going Florida. Yeah, and that's fair. All right. So, but, I mean, I, I had us losing to Alabama. So this is not like a, oh, I would never pick against my team. You know, it's, it's not how it goes. I'm trying well, to – well, remember, one of us picked Georgia to lose two games this year. Uh, I believe that person was me. So, yeah, I hope well, I'm wrong. No, yeah, I, you had us at eight and two. Two, I did. From the get-go, right? Yeah, I did. I had us at nine and one until yeah. we lost all our quarterbacks. And then <laughs> yeah, I said, right. yeah, we might end up being eight and two, eight and two. now. Yeah. All right. Which, which I stand by. If, if we had I, our original starting quarterbacks, I don't think oh my we're losing more than one game. But Let's not talk anyway, about it. Anyway, yeah. We're running behind. We're running overboard. I got to get this thing edited and up so people can listen. This is great conversation, Scott. And you know, folks, you're not going to get this analysis anywhere else. Come on. Yeah, this is the title run sports. We give you the best stuff. All right. So uh, this is Scott and David giving you an analysis of the Georgia Florida matchup, the world's biggest outdoor COVID 19 epidemic super spreader party. Um, Thanks for listening. We'll be back hopefully next week with uh, happy returns on a Georgia win. That's it for today. Thank you for listening.